Well, good afternoon, and welcome to our Wednesday afternoon podcast. Uh, whether you're listening to me live or listening to me later, uh, glad you're joining me. Uh, we are uh, continuing our study that we started last week. We started looking at the Ten Commandments, so uh, we set the foundation for the Ten Commandments last week, so we're picking up with the uh, very first of the Ten Commandments this week. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to Exodus chapter 20, and if you're going to follow me through this series, uh, the series is called Beautiful Bible. Boundaries. Uh, if you're going to follow me through that, just uh, bookmark your Bible or uh, your phone or your tablet, whatever you may be using to uh, follow along with me uh, to Exodus chapter 20, because that'll be our primary text as we uh, go through this study. But again, we'll be looking at some different passages as well, just as we will uh, today. Got a couple passages from the Gospel of Mark, actually, to tie all this together in just a few moments. So appreciate you joining me. I'm looking forward to doing this uh, series together, looking at how the the Ten Commandments uh, help us to stay on that path that God's called us to be on, uh, to keep us, as I say oftentimes, to keep us out of the ditches. Uh, God says that uh, He wants us to to walk on the path, to, to know Him and to love Him. And so uh, He gave us these commandments, uh, not in order to be saved, but uh, when we know Him and have a relationship with Him, uh, we can uh, live abundantly uh, in that salvation. So I hope and pray that um, You'll experience that, uh, and that we'll all work on these things together. So let's uh, begin our time with a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into our study together. Father, I come before you right now, and I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for these commands that you give to us. And as we looked at last week uh, from Psalm 119, uh, we pray uh, that uh, you will open our eyes so that we may see the beautiful things in your law. Uh, They're they're wondrous, and they're amazing uh, when we understand them, when we trust in you enough to follow them. So help us to look at these Ten Commandments. Let us look at how they fill um, our, our, our lives with the joy that you want us to have as we face faithfully follow you. So thank you for this time we have together of study. Help us to learn, help us to grow, and help us to experience the life that you desire for us to as we faithfully serve you. It's in Christ's most holy name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, as we start this, uh, this commandment here, I got to thinking back to uh, one of my earlier lives, something I did uh, years ago, uh, 20 plus years ago now. It was when I was at Emmanuel Baptist Church, not here in Athens, Alabama, but in Waco, Texas. Uh, I served as associate pastor there doing student ministry, youth and uh, college-age students, as well as some education ministry. And in that time, I also worked for one of the men in our church as a carpenter. Uh, he was a, a builder, did everything from foundation all the way up to building houses to remodeling houses, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that time, learned much as we uh, went through that as, as he taught me how to do that. So it was a great learning experience and has helped me invaluably over the years uh, knowing at least how to do some of that work. One of the things about Roy, the, the man that I worked for, he was very particular. He was a very good carpenter. And uh, I remember we were building a house one time. It was a, a, a new build, and we were putting up walls. And one of my favorite things always to do and still is I enjoy doing is trim work, which, of course, you do when the walls are finished. The house is all uh, pretty well complete, and you put in the crown molding or you put in the uh, trim at the bottom. You know, I, I always enjoyed 
doing that. And we were working on a house one day. We were putting in uh, the walls, just the stud walls. And he was very particular about making sure his walls were nice and straight. Uh, all the two-by-fours matched. They were exactly where they needed to be. Uh, and uh, he, he always said, you know, we're not building a watch here. So we knew there was going to be some, uh, it wasn't going to be super, super precise. But he always was very careful about that. And he made the comment, he says, you know, we can put this wall up right now. We can put it up where it looks halfway decent. But when you go to do the trim work, once the sheetrock is put on, the insulation is put in, and then the sheetrock is put on, and it's all mudded and taped and uh, all that, when you go to put the trim work on, you'll see what kind of a job that was really done. And so he was very particular because he wanted to make sure that when you came back later and trimmed it out, that it was actually going to look good. That's similar to what we look at here. It, it, the starting point, a lot of times you can think you can get away with just kind of waffling a little bit or, or, or just being okay. But if you don't start with a good foundation, if you don't start with a good straight wall, uh, it's going to show up later in, in the other things you do. Uh, and so when we look at this very first of the Ten Commandments here, this is foundational. This is making sure that our walls are, are going to be straight, uh, they're going to be plumb, and they're uh, going to match up so that when you put all these other commandments on later, uh, that they're going to fit up right, they're going to look right and be right. So this very first commandment is so foundational and fundamental uh, to putting everything else together properly. So we look at this here, uh, and this first commandment of having no other gods before him, besides him, him being the only and exclusive God here. He gives us this commandment and this boundary uh, because he doesn't want to leave room for anything else to have control of our lives that will detract from having that abundant life that he so much wants us to have when we follow him. And God's other gods have always been an issue uh, throughout Scripture and Throughout all of history, uh, Abraham dealt with the multiplicity of gods uh, in in his worship. He came out of a pagan land when God called him to go and walk first in the promised land. Uh, he walked through those lands. They had their gods. He struggled with it as he went down to Egypt at different times. So he left his his father. He left the the gods of his father to follow the one true. God. Uh, Joshua, at the end of his ministry, after the people have settled in the promised land uh, and have um, established themselves to a degree there, uh, the very last words of, of Joshua's, uh, the, the book of Joshua, is he says, you need to choose today whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the gods of Egypt, where you came from? Are you going to serve the gods of the, the people of this land that we have just conquered? Or are you going to serve the the one true living God? And he says, as for me and my household, we will serve God. Uh, and so a lot of people have that in their houses many times, uh, that, that phrase, that passage of Scripture. But the challenge there is Joshua recognizes that there's a, a multiplicity of gods around them, and they can choose to serve other gods. But he says the only true God, the only one that's going to bring you life and health and hope is the one true living God. So it was an issue back then. Uh, it was an issue in Jesus's day. Uh, the, the Greek gods uh, that were an influence as well as the Roman gods uh, that were an influence. If you've ever taken a mythology type class, you've studied about uh, these gods and how they, they worshiped him. So there was plenty of gods that they dealt with. Uh, Paul dealt with that when he was uh, evangelizing Athens, other places as well. But the, the one passage in Athens as he has walked through the city. He sees all these gods and all these altars that are out there to these gods. And then he comes across this one that says to an unknown god. They were so wanted to not offend any god that they 
thought of as many as they possibly could, and then just in case they had missed one, uh, they said, "Here's an hey, we're going to worship this unknown God just to cover all of our bases." Well, Paul used that as the stepping stone, the, the jumping off point for him to lead them to understand the one true living God. Uh, all those other gods were false. He said, "Let me tell you about this unknown God that you don't haven't heard about. You're not quite sure about. Let me tell you." who he is, and he used that as a means to start evangelizing that city of Athens. And so gods have always been an issue. And although we don't have idols in our houses today like they did back then, we don't go to a temple where uh, they have uh, uh, idols to worship. Now, there are some countries that do. I've been in places where they have had altars uh, with, with actual gods. I've been in homes, not in America, but in other countries where they've actually had the gods up on their walls um, that they would bring down and they'll actually worship and offer incense and all those things too. So uh, that does happen around the world today. But uh, here in America, primarily, we don't have those kinds of gods, but we do have our gods. Uh, Anything that we place in front of God, anything that the one true living God, anything that takes priority over him becomes our God. It can be our finances, uh, whether that's the money we have in the bank or the jobs that we go to. uh, That can be a God. The relationships that we uh, have, we can make those gods when that becomes more of a priority over serving God. Uh, Sports, obviously, can can be a God. When you watch a a college football game or an NFL game or, or any other sport as well, uh, you can see some people that that is their uh, that is their God that they worship. They they dress up for them. They make sure they plan their week and their events around uh, to make sure that they can be there to uh, worship at the altar of the the football field or the baseball field or the basketball court, whatever it might be. So we we have our gods, things that we place in front of the one true living God. The reason this first commandment, though, is to have no other gods except for God is a beautiful boundary because it helps us to put our life in focus. It, it makes sure that our walls are straight so that as we add these other commandments on, that everything fits as it ought to. So let's dig a little bit into this first of the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3 is what we're going to look at here together this afternoon. Uh, we're told here, It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So let's kind of break that apart just real quickly, just a minute or two breaking apart, then I've got two questions to ask you whether or not you're actually living in this way and and how to apply this to our lives here today. The very first thing that uh, we're told there in verse 2 is he says, I am the Lord. So he's establishing there right now that there's not a lot of lords. It's not many lords. He says, I'm not one of many lords or I'm not a lord. He says, I am the Lord. Uh, that's very important to, to understand that, that, that there are other little g gods that we make into gods, but there's only one true living God, capital G God, that we worship. Uh, I've told people oftentimes that uh, coming to faith in, in Christ uh, is a start the starting point is really the first four words of Genesis all the way back in the Old Testament. Most Bibles will start something like this in Genesis chapter one verse one. It says, "In the be, in the beginning, God." 
if we can believe that before there was a beginning of this this world, everything we see, everything we know, all this technology we're using right now, uh, everything that uh, we use throughout uh, all of history, that before any of that was, that God was there. If we can believe that, that's a starting point to believing in the one true living God. And so he says here to the Israelites, as he's giving them these commands, he says, I am the Lord. You've got to believe and trust in me, not all these other gods, but the one exclusive God. So he goes on from there to say, not only I am the Lord, but he says, I am the Lord, your God. Uh, That tells us that God is personal. God is not this abstract being that has created everything and then just kind of backed off and set everything in motion and is now uh, sitting back in his easy chair just seeing what's going to happen. No, God says, I am your God, that I have taken a special interest in you, specifically here to the Israelites, that he heard their cry uh, when they were there in Egypt. He'd given those promises to Abraham hundreds of years before. The the Israelites spent about 400 years, a little over 400 years uh, in Egypt, many of those years in captivity. That's all this generation had ever known. Uh, They went from being favored people uh, to becoming slaves in the land. Uh, And so that's all these people had ever known. Uh, And yet God says that I I know you and I love you and I am redeeming you to myself. So he says to them, reminds them, he says, I am the Lord. There's no other gods and I'm your God. So he's personal. He, He knows us. He knows our name. He knows who we are and where we are. So he's personal. And then he goes on to say from there, who brought you out of slavery? So God is the God that redeems. God is the God that saves. He is our Savior. Uh, now, ultimately, we know that as the picture has unfolded in a greater detail from uh, from Exodus, and, and we've gone through the Gospels and uh, through Acts and through all the, the, the epistles, uh, we see the unfolding of the story. We know that it's Jesus Christ ultimately fulfilled that promise of the Messiah to come. They didn't have that yet, but even here, he is saying, I'm the one that's redeemed you. I'm the one that knows your plight, knows where you were, knew what you were going through, and I have redeemed you out of slavery. Uh, God is still in the business of redeeming people, not necessarily physically slavery, although sometimes it is physical slavery, but he redeems us from the slavery of the sin that we deal with on a regular basis, uh, on a daily basis in our lives. And so he's telling the people here, he says, I'm the only God. He says, I am your God, I'm personal in your life, and I'm here to redeem you, to save you. And then he goes on to say, so therefore, you'll have no other gods before me or besides me, depending on your translation. But he's saying, I'm the only God you're going to have. So God here is saying that I am exclusive. It's not God plus. It's God, and he's the only one we serve. Uh, There are some people uh, that worship a multiplicity of gods, Uh, and so one of the problems that that missionaries have sometimes in some of these places where they believe in multiple gods is they'll go in and they'll start talking about Jesus Christ, they'll talk about being saved and trusting in Him, and some people will very readily say, sure, we'll add Him into our religion, and so it becomes Jesus plus, it becomes God plus all these other gods we have. Well, that doesn't work, and that's not a true uh, understanding of faith in the one true living God. Um, but yet, that's what some people will do. And and again, the Israelites were going to struggle with this. Some they had come in, they had come out of Egypt. 
who had all of their gods. You think of the, the pyramids, and you think of the sphinxes, and you think of all the, uh, the, the things that we hear about, the gods of the Egyptians. That's what they had experienced for over 400 years. They're going into a land of people, the Canaanites and, and, and other people that dwelt in the promised land that had all of their gods. And so this was going to be a continual struggle of these other people that saying, no, our gods are, are the true gods, and our gods are the real gods. And so uh, just like we struggle with that even today, they struggle with it in a very real way as well. And so God is saying, I am your only God. I'm exclusive. You're not to have any of these other gods. You're not to worship these others. And so that's very important for us to understand. And that's ultimately what this first commandment is giving to us. It's very fairly simple to understand what God is saying here. It's very clear what he's saying. There's not a lot, there's not wiggle room in here. Um, you know, people can try to take and twist some of those things around, but there's no wiggle room here. He's saying, I am the one and only God. You worship me or you don't worship me. Uh, th- there's no gray area in there. So are you going to worship God? Are you going to serve God? And that's that's the first commandment he gives us. So now let me ask you a couple questions as we take a few moments to kind of say, okay, well, how does this apply to us? What? How can we make this, see if it's real in our life or not? Two questions, and uh, we're going to go to Mark's gospel to help us answer these uh, questions today. The first one's going to be in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, so if you want to turn there, you can. But the first question I'm going to ask based on this first of the commandments is, what are you giving to God? What is it that you're giving to God? And we have a story here in Mark's gospel, again, chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. I'll read these verses. Uh, We're told this, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing. Jesus was talking with uh, some of the Pharisees and some of the religious leaders. And so this scribe runs up, he hears what's going on here. Uh, He says, heard them disputing with, uh, with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love your neighbor with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I'm sorry, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Apologize for um, going on to the next commandment that he was going to give is to love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, and that was just the Shema. That's, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, something all Jewish children would have heard from uh, early on in their life and were taught that, and the Pharisees uh, were going to hold on to that and teach that. So this wasn't something he hadn't heard before. He had heard it many times. But in the heart of what Jesus is saying here uh, is that we go all the way back to the Old Testament, and God said that you are to give God most of you. No, when you, when you read this text and when you see what is being said in the Shema there, he's saying, you love the Lord your God with all that you have, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Everything you have, you are supposed to, to give to God. Uh, there's, there's nothing that is left out of uh, what, what we're supposed to give God. He's supposed to be exclusive in our worship. So you, you need to ask yourself, what am I giving to God? Am I really giving to God all of who I am? And all that he's given to me. 
Am I giving him my mind? Are the things that I'm reading, uh, the things that I'm studying, the things that I'm focusing on, is that going to lead me into a deeper understanding of who he is and a relationship with him? Am I giving him my, my will? Am I giving him my, my, my soul? In other words, am I uh, submitting myself to, to what he has called me to do? Am I willing to give him that? Am I giving him my strength? How do I serve him on a, on a daily basis? Um, not just coming to church and not just doing things at the church or for the church, but how are you living 24-7? Are are you using your body in a way that is going to be uh, foundational to to being able to serve Him and and worship Him? So our worship of God and and, and His exclusivity is, is not just a couple hours a week. It's not just certain times of the day. It's how are you ordering and structuring who you are uh, in order to serve him. So we need to ask ourselves that question. Is that man came up to him and said, tell me, what, what's the greatest commandment? And God says to him, the greatest commandment is to give God your very self to him. So ask yourself today, how much are you really giving to God? Is it really a 24-7 uh, again, I, I, all of us have areas that we have to work on. I, I would say if we're, if we're truly honest, we're not giving him all that we have, but we should work toward that end. We should desire to give him all that we have, and we should recognize that the areas that we're not giving to him are those areas that are trouble areas for us, are those areas that uh, we, we struggle with. And so he says, give me all of who you are. Make me exclusive uh, in your life. So that's the first question we ask is, what are we giving God? Now, the next question, this comes from Mark chapter 10, similar, but also very important to ask, not what are you giving God, but what are you willing to give up for God? What are you willing to let go of for God? If he's going to be exclusive, if you're not going to have any other gods besides him, if if he's going to be the only God that you serve, what are you willing to give up? So we come to this other story here, found two chapters earlier, Mark chapter 10, of somebody asking Jesus uh, this question and him answering. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, let's break that apart a little bit and see what's happening here and what Jesus is doing here. Uh, What did the man want? Well, he comes up to him and he wants to know, how can I have eternal life? That's a good question. That's a right question. It's a beneficial question. What do I need to do to have eternal life? So Jesus is going to answer this man, but he's going to take him on a journey, just a short little journey here to get to, to where he needs to be. So in verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, all right, how are you doing with the commandments? And specifically, how are you doing with the second half of the commandments? We'll get there in our study here in a few weeks. But he says, how are you doing with honoring your parents? How are you doing with adultery? How are you doing with stealing? All those commandments there. He points him to the Ten Commandments. Here's this man's response. He says, I've kept all those things. 
I've done a good job of that. And we'll take him at face value. We'll say that uh, Jesus didn't question him. Jesus didn't go back and uh, contradict him in any way. So we're going to take it at face value. This was a good man. This was a man that obeyed those commandments and and followed those those commandments. We're going to leave that where it is. Jesus doesn't dispute it, so we won't either. The man says, I've done a lot of good things. So he's given God a lot of things, a, a lot of right things in his life. But then Jesus says, but you lack one thing. He says, I want you to go and sell everything you have and come follow me. Jesus has already established, you know, you're calling me good. So you're saying that I'm God and I'm godly and in what I'm doing. Only God is good. So you're, you're claiming that I am God. So are you willing to give me everything? Are you willing to follow me? What he was ultimately commanding this man to do here was to let go of the world and put his trust in him. Uh, This is the same command that he had given to Andrew and Peter and James and John as they were at their fishing boats. Uh, He came along and he said, come follow me. And they left all their fishing gear there and they started following Jesus. He called Matthew. He walked by his tax booth one day and he says, follow me. From all accounts, he says that Matthew left his uh, tax stuff there, and he started following Jesus. So he'd called the others to, to leave everything, and so we know that they'd given up everything to follow him. So this is what he was asking of this man, uh, give up your, your possessions and follow me. Uh, eternal life for us, and this is what this man was asking, requires more than our obedience to the law to the things that we can do. It ultimately demands our devotion to the Savior. Uh, So we come to verse 22, and the man responds as he does, says he went away disheartened uh, because he had great possessions. Now, I read this one in Mark's because the same story is related to us in the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke. But Mark, in particular, um, makes this reference in the first part of chapter or verse 21, where it says that Jesus Christ looked at the man and says, and he loved him. So Jesus isn't here trying to uh, pull this man down. He's not trying to uh, see what he can, how much control he can exert over him. It says that Jesus looked at this man and he had a deep love for this man. He wanted the best for this man. He wanted him to have an abundant, a full life. He wanted to answer that man's question of what does it take to have eternal life? And he was honestly answering that in a loving way. Now, it wasn't the answer the man wanted, but Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he said ultimately to him, and not these words, but you can't have any other gods besides me. You've got to trust in me and me alone. So for this man in particular, it's not saying that every person that follows Jesus Christ has to give up all their possessions. Uh, There's clear evidence of Scripture that he doesn't require that from everybody. But from this one man, he was requiring that. He says, if you really want to put me first, it's great that you're doing the second half of the Ten Commandments. But what are you doing with the very first commandment? Do you have any other gods before me? Are you willing to give these up to follow me? So we need to ask ourselves that question as well. What do we need to give up in order to faithfully follow God? Uh, Are we giving him all that we can? Are we giving him our very beings? I mean, those two questions are interrelated, and they're, they're definitely working with each other. Are we really willing to give him all that we have? 
and faithfully serve him. That's ultimately what he was calling this man to do, was to follow him and, and only him. So we can see from this very first commandment that the command is that we are to give God everything we have to have no other gods before me. He's the only God. He's exclusive. Uh, He has exclusive rights on our life and our very being. And so he says, I want you to worship me and and only me in all that we say and all that we do. So are you giving him your all? Are you giving up those things that are keeping you from having a, a right and full relationship with him? That's ultimately the call of this very first commandment. If we can start getting that one right, the others really more easily fall into place when we start with this first one. The Ten Commandments aren't a picking and choosing. It's not, oh, I like that one. I can do that one. I'll I'll keep, you know, eight out of ten or I'll keep five out of ten. No, God says it's it's ten out of ten is, is what's required. Now, ultimately, again, remember, this isn't about being saved. This is how we can experience a full and abundant life when we're saved. God has already redeemed the people. He brought them out of slavery already, and he's saying, now here's how you can follow me faithfully to avoid those ditches, to avoid those bad spots in your life. If you want to have an abundant life, if you want to have a full life in me, here's what you need to do. Same is true for us. Um, We need to commit our hearts and souls and very lives to him, and if we want to experience that abundant life, it starts with by making him number one uh, and exclusively number one. It's not like, okay, God and then a couple other gods below him. It's God and God alone, and what does that take to follow him? What are you giving up? What are you willing to give up? And what are you giving up? And what are you giving him? Uh, Ultimately, ask those questions and those two stories from Mark's gospel help us to understand that. Let's go out and faithfully serve God. We've got nine more commandments to go. Looking forward to doing those studies together as well. I hope this has been helpful, and let's put that into practice in our lives this week. Let's pray, and we'll wrap up our time together. Father, I thank you for your word. Again, I thank you for this commandment. Uh, uh, Just a few simple words, and we can understand them in our heads, but uh, Father, putting them into practice is difficult, and it takes your love, it takes your grace, it takes uh, your ability uh, to work in us and through us. And ultimately, Father, we can't do that completely, but you can help us. So I pray that you will give us the ability to know and see into our lives what, what we need to give to you and what we need to give up for you so that we can truly make you Lord of our lives, uh, so that we have no other gods uh, besides you, before you, but that you're exclusive uh, to us. Thank you for helping us to understand this. Thank you for the gift of helping us to be able to do this through your love and your grace. It's in Christ's most holy name that we pray. Amen.